Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. You know, have you ever really, let me just ask a question, have you ever really wanted to be, have a glimpse into the future? Yeah, you have. I'll bet you, you looked on your phone on the weather app this morning to see what the weather was going to be like so you knew how to dress before you ever went to the house, right? Oh, that's a minor thing. I'll bet you sometimes in trying to make an investment would really like to know what's going to happen three months, six months, a year from now with the money that you invest, wouldn't you? All of us really want to look, and we have a preoccupation with that as people oftentimes, hence a lot of different things from Hollywood dealing with the future. I'll bet you most of us have seen at least one, if not all three, of the trilogy of Back to the Future. Wasn't that a great show? All three of them. Sequels sometimes really aren't that great. But I think Back to the Future is awesome. But you know, there was one thing in Michael J. Fox's life that if he could know the future, it would have been really difficult for him because he was in Florida with a premiere for Back to the Future and he didn't notice his finger was trembling. And you know now that that led to his diagnosis with Parkinson's. And that's a scary future. I'm thankful that he has continued to act. I'm thankful that he has continued to speak out, that he's drawn awareness to this disease of Parkinson's and try to be a part of a solution. Praise God for him doing that. I have no idea what his faith base is, but I'm thankful for his actions from that standpoint. But you are too. But sometimes the future can be a scary thing. This week, I read an article in Christianity Today about Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey is an author that God has used to greatly benefit and bless my heart, writing books like The Jesus I Never Knew, or What's So Amazing About Grace. That dude has his finger on the heart of the Savior's work in our lives and what we as the church of Jesus Christ need to desperately tap into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of that. Yet Parkinson's has come to his door as well. Just this week, the statement is, Parkinson's the gift I never wanted, the gift I didn't want. Here's what he says, I've spent years writing about pain and suffering, now I'll spend years learning how to live with physical disability. He goes on to say that that spectrum is, it may be inconvenience, because it could be mild, or it might be incapacitation. He doesn't know. But he said he's going to be years learning to live with it. Listen to these words. In my writing career, I've interviewed U.S. presidents, rock stars, professional athletes, actors, and other celebrities. I've also profiled leprosy patients in India, pastors who were imprisoned for their faith in China, women rescued from sex trafficking, parents of children with rare genetic disorders, many who suffer from diseases far more debilitating than Parkinson's. Reflecting on the two groups, here's what stands out. With some exceptions, those who live with pain and failure tend to be better stewards of life and their circumstances than those who live with success and pleasure. Pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. Can I restate that for you just in case you were sleeping? Pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. In God's economy, that's true. 
My future is full of question marks and I'm not unduly anxious. I have excellent medical care and support from my friends. I have a good and trusting and loving God who often chooses to reveal those qualities through his followers on earth. And here's how he concludes. I have written many words on suffering and now being called to put them into practice. May I be a faithful steward of this latest chapter. Pray for Phil Yancey as we pray for ourselves, that we too would be stewards of what God has entrusted to us. You know, we're all called to follow Christ, but today we're going to look at the fact that sometimes we're called to follow him into a scary future. Sometimes the future is bright, and sometimes it scares the daylights out of us if we really knew what was coming down the pipe, right? And the only answer to that is how are we going to do it? It's what we've been talking about all month. We need to follow Christ by fixing our eyes on Christ. That's how we run with endurance the race that he has put before us, fixing our eyes on Christ. That's what it says in Hebrews 12. But the last several weeks we looked at what can get our eyes off of Christ as we looked at the life of the Apostle Peter. And the first one we looked at was we get our eyes off of Christ, we can get them on our past, on our failures, on our sin, and not on his forgiveness, and not on his call. Last week, we looked at the fact we get our eyes off of Christ, we get them on our present circumstances, those things which are impossible apart from God. The wind and the waves. This week, we're going to look at something, and that's the future. And how we, in the midst of a scary future oftentimes, don't focus on Christ, but we focus on others, like, well, what's the plan for their life? Focusing on others is another place that we get our eyes off of Jesus. And check out this slide with these little guys. They're on a trip, and they're looking at binoculars. One of them looking at the other one. Not looking at the distance, not looking at what's out there, but checking out who's around them. That's a funnier way to look at how we do, and we're going to look at how Peter did that also in one of the last experiences that he had on earth with the Lord Jesus, which is in John 21. And we're going to see how a discouraged follower of Christ, a discouraged disciple, is restored and refocused, and how God used him to do some great things. It's in John chapter 21. We're going to look at how Peter was one who uh, God had used to do some amazing things. And if you think about it, Peter was really, uh, from the very beginning, he was one of the core of disciples. There was Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. They were greatly loved by Christ. Peter's the one who really came to the place where uh, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And upon this rock, this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, along with James and John. When they saw Jesus transfigured into all of his glory, Peter's the only man other than Jesus in history to ever walk on water. Peter is a guy who had some pretty heady experiences, some really amazing highs in life. He also said some very deep lows. The same one who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. When Jesus said, I am going to go to the cross, Peter's the one who said, Lord, no, no way. There's no way you should do that. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For flesh and blood, you're putting your interest on man's interest, not on that which is God's. He was rebuked sternly. Even walking on water that we talked about last week, oh, Peter, you have little faith. 
Why did you doubt? And probably the greatest of all of these is after Jesus is arrested, he's going through that mock series of kangaroo trials. You know it well. And Peter denies the Lord three times, even though he said, I will never deny you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And three times, I don't know him. I don't know him. The third time, swearing, there's no way that I know this man. Then the rooster crows. It's that the discouraged disciple that we're talking about here today. Even though Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he knows that, there's still a measure of discouragement. In John chapter 21, we pick this up, and to set the context for the passage this morning, we find that the disciples are gathered together. This is during the time between Jesus was crucified, then resurrected, and before he ascends back to heaven, he's with them for these 40 days, and he appears to them several times. He's about to appear to them for the third time, but Peter doesn't know that yet. So he says, I'm going to go fishing. Now, we don't know from that passage whether he meant, I'm going back to my former way of life, or we need some money to be able to just make ends meet, or whether he's just saying, I just need a distraction. We don't know that. It just says, I'm going fishing. Six of his other disciples go with him. They fish all night long. You heard this story before? And they catch nothing, not a zilch. They see a figure on the seashore. He says, oh, sons, children, lads, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll get a great call of fish. And they did. The nets began to be filled so much it later says in there they caught 150 large fish, so much so that they had to drag them to the shores. They couldn't put them all in the boats. They recognized the one who told them where to fish was the Lord Jesus in his resurrected form. Peter, John's the one who first recognizes him. Peter, though, jumps in the water and swims to the shore to be with the Lord. And when the disciples get there, here's where we pick up the passage. They find him there, and he had breakfast waiting for him. If you want to follow along with me, this is beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, then feed my lambs. He said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. He says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to him, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Now Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, that would be John, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, well, but Lord, what about this guy? What about John? What about this man? Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
you follow me. And that's a reading of the Word of God. Let's talk about it just a minute. Let's, let's look at this and say, okay, what is it that this historic event, this historic narrative that really truly happened, as miraculous as it is, what is it that you and I can learn today about the principles that God wants us to hear that can help our lives learn to follow Jesus and keep our eyes focused on him? What can we learn from Peter's experience? Some of these I'm just going to touch on really quickly. I'm going to do like a, a you know, touch and go type of thing. But the first thing we see is that Jesus is patient and forgiving, restoring us when we fall. Jesus is patient. He's forgiving. Aren't you glad for that? Oh, I am. There's so many times that I have failed. There's so many times I have fallen. And he didn't give up on me. And he hasn't given up on you. And he wants to reach down and pick us up when we've fallen and put us back on the right track. It's a beautiful statement that we see throughout Jesus. But in 1 John, the same one who wrote this gospel, 1 John 1, 9, a familiar verse for anybody that's been around church very long, and that is this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. There is no unforgivable sin. That's good news, isn't it? And Jesus is patient and loving and forgiving and merciful. His mercy is greater than our sin. Like the song says, His grace is greater than our sin. His love exceeds all of our sin. And I'm so thankful for that. And Peter, I know, knew that. Jesus had not given up on them. No, he had rejected him, even though he had denied him, even though he had failed just ingloriously. Jesus was still there for him. I love the fact that when the, the angels show up to the women and they say, go and tell the disciples. This is after they experienced the open tomb. I love the fact they say, go and tell the disciples. And then just two words, and Peter. What an amazing thing that Jesus would single out Peter in the midst of his discouragement. And Peter. Put your name in there. I don't know what your name is. He does. Go and tell the disciples and your name. And believe that. Jesus is patient, forgiving, restoring us when we fail. The second thing we can learn from this is Jesus loves us and he wants us to love him above all others. Here's a passage, and oftentimes when you read narrative, it's important that you, the narrative tells us accurately what happened. It does, it's, it's descriptive of what happened. It doesn't necessarily prescribe what we should do. In other words, it's not directive in our lives. But there's other scripture that if we bring alongside of it, that does give us direction. Like I just did with the one about Jesus and forgiving our sins. Jesus loves us, wants to love him. Where would I get that? Well, 1 John chapter 4, 19. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. I love God, you love God because he first loved us. He was the one who pursued us. He's the one who initiated. He really sought us and we responded to him. That's the picture. We love him, why? Because he first loved us, is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Notice what happens in this passage. 
Jesus says to Peter, and he's talking to him, and he's seeking, I believe, to restore him, and there's a threefold question that I think can't help but parallel the threefold denial. I mean, threefold, it's hard with arthritis to get just three up. <laughs> Our kids, we used to laugh at them because in, uh, what was the program? It was like uh, Christmas Carol, and it was an animated one, and the ghost that would come, there's going to be the ghost of Christmas past, and they always put up two fingers instead of three, and our kids would say, they didn't put up three fingers, they put up two. That's me, anyway, so. <laughs> all right, so just go with the flow. He asked him, Peter, Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. But there's an interplay here, and I don't have time to go dig deep in the weeds on this, but the Greek language, English is such an imprecise language, there's an interplay here in Greek, and that is Peter, uh, Jesus says, Lord, uh, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with a sacrificial love, an agape love? And Peter says, he he's knows, he's learned from his lesson. He's not about to go into it. He says, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. It's a different Greek word, phileo. He asked him a second time, Lord, Peter, do you love me? He says, do you love me with an unconditional love? And, and Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Third time, Jesus changes his word. He says, do you love me like a brother? Using Peter's own words. You see why Peter was so grieved? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like a brother. He didn't want to overstate. He wanted to uh, under-promise and over-deliver, I think, at this point in his life. And I appreciate that. But do you notice this? Jesus loves us. And he wants to love us above all others. Peter had said, he asked you, Peter at the first of this, Peter, do you love me more than these? These, we don't know what that is. I presume it's the other disciples. He could have been saying, Peter, do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than this way of life? But I believe he's really more alluding to, do you love me more than these other disciples? And Peter's saying, yes, Lord, I do. He's affirming his love. Jesus loves us, and he wants us to love him above all others. What's the greatest commandment that Jesus told the disciples when he said, of all the commandments, all the 613 commandments of the Tanakh, of the Older Testament, what's the greatest? It's a trap. Jesus said, all of them are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and a second's likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang or hinge all the law and the prophets. It's about love, friends. It's not about, and, and love is obedience, but it's not about checking off the boxes to a whole bunch of religious do's and don'ts. It's about love. Because we can do the right things, but we can do them for the wrong reasons, and that's not going to move the meter. Jesus loves us, and he wants us to love him above all else and reflect that in our lives. You know, I love the fact that the baptism today Baptism, what is that? It's a symbolic of identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. What's it also? It's an identification to say, I love you, and I want to follow you. Thank you for loving me. That's a way of just making a statement. Lord, I love you. There's so much about it, and it's beautiful to be here with you today. I saw Wes in the lobby this morning, and he had on his shorts and didn't have any shoes on. And I said, so, you got baptized? Yeah, we got baptized. And I said, it's about time, Wes. You should get baptized. <laughs> but anyway, they did a great job, didn't they? What a great way to praise God and say, I love you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the next point that's here is Jesus wants us to display our love to him 
by loving and caring for others. If you love me, what does he say? Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my flock. How do we demonstrate our love for God? By caring for others who are created in his image. Notice what it says in 1 John 4, the next verses, 20 through 21. John says, if someone says, I love God, you can come and sing worship songs and praise God and do it with the best, the best voice and, and just everything, the greatest experience. We say, oh God, how I love you, and go out of here and not love the people with whom we come in contact. John says this, you're a liar. Whoa, that's a strong word. He says, because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's not either or, friends, it's both and. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. You know, I gotta tell you, Brent said it right, and I just wanna put in a plug also for this marriage class, for the parenting class, for the mentoring that's there. Brent's spot on. If there are empty nesters who are here, people whose kids are a little farther down the road, don't think that you shouldn't be there. Maybe not for you, maybe that ship has sailed, but you can and should be involved in younger people's lives. Older men should be discipling and mentoring younger men. Older women should be, and older is a very generic term, all right? We've already established that. It's from the late teens to the whatever that was, Brent, okay? It's just someone who's down, not quite far down the road with you. Get involved in their lives. That's a part of loving flock. You know what, this is a loving church. I've seen that. I've not been in here, but the last time before, well, not the last time, the last time was when I preached, but you know, going back before that, I told you I'd been here for some funerals. One of those funerals was for a funeral for a baby. Eric and Julie Wilgen's little baby. And some of you know who Eric and Julie is, are. And their little baby drowned in a bucket of water in their backyard. And this church, Eric was a seminary student at Phoenix Seminary. They'd been a part of our church at Desert Springs, and they were making a move over here. And right in the middle of that move, not even knowing a whole lot of people, their baby dies. And you, as a church, came around them. Thank you for that. That is showing love for God through love for people who are here and hurting and who need us to sacrifice to be with them. Continue that. Keep that up. That's a good thing. Another point we see here is following Christ will involve some degree of opposition and perhaps even persecution. This is where we get down to when Jesus says to Peter what type of death he's going to die to glorify God. You know, the scriptures teach us this in 1 Timothy chapter, um, I can't read this. What is it? 1 Timothy 3. Thank you. All who are wanted to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Some degree. If you identify with Christ, that's countercultural to the world. You will suffer persecution of some description. Uh, as I looked at this, I looked up uh, on Open Doors, which is an organization started by uh, Brother Andrew, who used to be known as God's Smuggler, smuggling Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain and other things like that. 
but they have a world watch list. And for 2022, just the last year, this map shows, I don't know how well you can see the colors, but it's different shading of Christians who are suffering intense persecution around the world. 360 million men and women who followers of Jesus Christ live in places where they experience daily intense persecution, maybe even their death, certainly kidnapping, certainly the destruction of churches. Emily and I were just with a friend who has been serving for many years in Afghanistan but have to leave recently to come back to the States. And they're wanting to go back as soon as they can. It may not be Afghanistan, but they're trying to get back into Uzbekistan to get there close as they can be to minister in the Islamic world where it's illegal to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes it's point upon death. Throughout the world, that's happening. I want to come back to this point. Following Christ will involve some degree of opposition, even persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 19 says this, <clears throat> Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. He's saying don't suffer as an idiot. Okay? Don't be obnoxious. Don't be ridiculous. Don't step outside. Don't try to do stuff in the faith. If you're suffering according to God's will, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There is a woman I have a great deal of respect for who was a part of our ministry at Desert Springs. She had a very responsible position with a major telecommunications network in, in the Phoenix area. It's in a managerial role and it's a devoted follower of Jesus. <clears throat> and a woman came to her and said, I really would like con you know, for you to give me feedback on my relationships, meaning her dating relationships. And this person, I'm just going to call her E, E says to this coworker, says, you know, I, and I, I really appreciate that. Thank you for coming and asking for my guidance and wisdom. And but you know I'm a Christian, and you know I believe in the Bible. And, and your relationships, which are of the same sex nature, are not consistent with what I believe the Bible teaches, so whatever counsel I'm going to give you is going to be according to God's word. That's okay, I want to know that. So she began to meet with her. She began to pray with her. She got her a Bible. She began to take her to church. She began to do some other stuff. And somewhere down that road, things went sideways. And I think E did it as compassionately, as patiently, as lovingly, as acceptingly as was possible without compromising what she believed to be true. You can probably read the rest of the script. This coworker reports her to HR. Long story short, she ends up losing her job simply for taking a stand of speaking the truth, even though she's spoken in love. Are you willing to lose a job for speaking the truth in love? You might have to. Are you willing to lose friends for speaking the truth in love? You probably will have to. Are you willing to suffer loss for the sake of Christ? Entrust your souls to a living God while doing good, for he understands. By the way, E finally moved. She didn't finally move. She and her husband moved to Denver. She got involved in seminary up there, got a degree in counseling and other types of ministry, left the marketplace where she had been a witness for Christ, but now she's a witness for Christ in other ways where she can speak more freely. God used that in a way to redirect her path. But there were some dark days right there. 
Another point is Jesus wants us to embrace his plan for us rather than wondering what will others have to experience. Did you pick up on that when we went through this? Jesus tells Peter what type of death he's going to die. By the way, the whole issue that's there is that uh, Eusebius, a church father, and historian rather, not church father, had written about the fact that when Peter was crucified, he actually was crucified upside down. That's not in the Bible. That's in tradition. That's in some historic writings that are complementary to. But anyway, that was the thing. He didn't consider him worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. So he did come around and he did do this, but this was the type of death that he was going to die. Well, that's a scary proposition, isn't it? So what does Peter do? Jesus said, here's the type of death you're going to glorify God. You follow me. Peter's next words are, he sees John and he says, but what about him? What about this one? What, what about this other guy? He's a disciple. You, what, what's he going to have to do? What is Jesus' response? Do you see it? Peter, what difference does it make if I want him to last and stay here until I come back? In essence, that's none of your business. You follow me. Friends, how many times do we get our eyes off of Christ when we get them on other people and what they're having to do or not do? Isn't that a way of saying, why me? I think it is. I want to tell you, sometimes it's because of what we do for Christ, and sometimes it's just it's a part of life. There's a friend that Emily and I have. She's a wonderful woman. She's experienced a lot of difficulties in this life, not because of her faith, but her faith has been stronger because of those difficulties, and I might argue that the enemy has been against her through much of this. She was divorced, though she didn't want to be divorced, Went through a lot of stuff with that. She has two daughters that died of cystic fibrosis, which is a long and painful death. Multiple lung transplants and other types of things, and we walked with her through that. She's a survivor of breast cancer. And when we talked to Anne, she never once said, why me? You know what she said? Why not me? Who am I to think that I shouldn't have to deal with this when so many other people do? Friends, that's the right perspective, isn't it? Whether it's persecution for our faith or because of difficulties by just living in a world that has fallen. You know, we see this, our lives, when we follow Christ, our lives and even our deaths glorify God. Jesus had said that to Peter. So this is the type of death by which you're going to glorify God. Many of you know of <coughs> Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, whose husband, Jim Elliott, died in 1956 in the jungles of Ecuador trying to take the gospel to a group of people known as the Aka or the Wadani Indians. And they were speared, they were murdered, he and four others. Three years later, Elizabeth Elliott, with a three-year-old daughter, two years later, a little bit more, with a three-year-old daughter, goes into that with Rachel Saint, who was the wife of the pilot who was also martyred, to live with and to love the people who killed their husbands. And many of them came to faith in Jesus as a result of that. God glorified himself through their sacrifice and through their Christ-like love. Here's one of the things that Elizabeth Elliot has written since. She's written over 20 books as a result of that. Anything you can pick up by her would be great to read. She said this, the deepest things I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering 
and out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. God's more concerned about our being conformed to the image of Christ than he is our comfort, friends. That's what's good in our lives. You know, as I was looking at this passage and I was working through it this week, I think the Spirit of God brought this to my mind. I was telling Aaron about it just a few days ago, and there's a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Yeah, I know that. I mean, it's in many hymnals, and it's, it was popularized in Billy Graham Crusades as a song of consecration or dedication. It also was done by Bill and Gloria Gaither and, and the gospel motif, and it's been repeated many, many times. You probably have heard it at some point, but in case not, or even if you have, let me read these words to you. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though I may wonder, still I will follow. That's one of the lines. Though none go with me, I will still follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? It's a great question. It's a question for Peter. Peter, what does that matter to you? You follow me. And entrust yourself to one who loves you more than you love yourself, who's patient and forgiving and gracious and merciful. Even though you and I may be discouraged, we can be restored like Peter was. And we can be refocused as to what God wants for our lives if we will choose to follow him. You know, the, I looked at the background of that story because every song has a background. And it seems that this came out of India over 150 years ago. And it really has to do with a, a young man, not a young man, but a family. And some missionaries came from England into India, and probably through the ministry of someone like Adoniram Judson, who was big in the Baptist ministry into India. And evidently this individual in northeast India, right up against the Himalayas, comes to faith in Jesus Christ by the testimony of the gospel witness through a missionary that was there. Well, the group that he was with was not happy about that, and so they were threatened by it, and they threatened him. They threatened to kill his children and to kill his wife, and he could just get away with that by just renouncing his faith. And yet in some way he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they did kill his children, and he still would not recount I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And they killed his wife. And then they killed him. But he did not recant his faith. How can you do that? You can only do that by keeping your eyes on Jesus and by trusting to do this in the power of his spirit who lives within you. Where's he calling you to follow him? And will you follow him? though none go with you? Or are your eyes still on somebody else? What about that man? What about that woman? What about this circumstance? What about this failure? Get your eyes off that stuff. Get your eyes on Jesus. As I say that to you, I'm saying it to me because I struggle with it just like you do. So let's pray for each other. And may I pray for you now and ask Aaron and the team to come up and lead us in our final song. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. 
And thank you for your power to accomplish it in our lives. I ask you to move in such a way that our lives, and even perhaps our death, will glorify you. Father, may we be people, when they look at us, when others look at us, they see Jesus through the way we speak to them, the way that we act. May we love them as he has loved us. Thank you, Father, for this as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. What a great reality God is through this week. We have a firm foundation in Jesus. He won't let us down. You believe that? Will you live that? You know, if you're here this morning and you need prayer, there's some people here would love to pray with you even before you walk out of the doors. They could be found right over on this wall this morning. This is a praying church, believing that God wants to be involved and is involved in our lives and can empower us to live a different way. So stop by and just let them know. If you just want to leave a request so they can pray through the week, there's some pads on the paper on the table before you leave out. Just Jot your request down so they can be praying for you throughout the week, please. As you go out, I want to share with you the last words that Jesus spoke that are recorded to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven. Wouldn't you think the last words are really important? This is, I really want you to know this. So listen to these as if he's saying them to you through that angel. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If he was saying that to us, he might say, you will be my witnesses in Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona, Southwest, the U.S., even to the ends of the world. Let's go forth and let's realize we go forth as his witnesses, and let's live in his love and by this power of the Spirit he's put within us. God bless you and have a great week in Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.